nationalists in the modern era, era talked about the natural law as that which is truth. Truth is contained in the natural law. The empiricists came along and they said, no, 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 truth is, is an experience. And then the skeptics came along right after that and they said, it's in neither. We can't know the truth. Similar to Pilate, though I think his question was ill-asked. Ill and then a, one came along, Immanuel Kant, and he said, truth, which exists, is relative to the individual. And he tried to combine the rationalist and the empiricist, and uh, that was a Copernican revolution in modern philosophy. This, my friends, is where you and I live today because that man said truth is relative. And this is where we live. This is what, not by all of them, but this is basically what's taught in your high schools and in your colleges. Truth is relative to the individual. We can't really know that there is an absolute objective truth out there. That is where you and I live. And then that is why this sermon today and the next three where we talk about truth, we talk about coveting and idolatry. Uh, those two commandments, 9 and 10, are basically where all 10 lead. It begins with one, you shall have no other gods before me. But here, if you don't understand truth, and if you aren't satisfied in this one God, that's why all those other uh, commandments are there. That's why those issues happen. That's why there's murder. That's why there's adultery. That's why there's... Uh, thievery is because we don't know how to define truth or we know how to define it and we try to get away from it. Let me read you this from Skip Ryan. Honesty is connected to all the other commandments. It would be rare if murder, adultery, and theft were committed without lying in some way. Actually, the issue of honesty and integrity is really connected to everything about our lives. The issue is so pervasive, we tend to neglect it. It is so present, we tend to dismiss it or not or are not fully conscious of the meaning of lying or honesty as much as we should be. The interesting truth is that our personal and professional lives are so full of carefully crafted words that are really half-truths or casual words that hurt or flatter. We fail to see so much dishonesty as present. It actually is the air we breathe. It's the water we swim in as human beings. You see dishonesty, dishonesty at all kinds of levels. Chronic lying is ex the accepted discourse of doing international di diplomacy. We expect it, but we also experience it on a different level. And so today we're going to look at this issue of honesty and the truth. We're going to look at it in the ninth commandment. It is, what is the heart of the ninth commandment? Can you know truth? And if we do know truth, what is it and why does it matter? The way we're going to look at this is through uh, seven things here. The prohibition that's given in the, the commandment proper. The motivation, why people lie. You'll see that throughout the Bible. There's three reasons. The action, we're going to look at nearly a dozen ways in which people lie. That is, the way they do it, they may not be telling an outright lie, but they smudge the truth. The destruction, you're going to see two reasons not to lie. You're going to see the examination. If we lay our lives on the examination table, it's a universal problem. The redemption, that there's only one solution, and we're going to look at it both philosophically and biblically. And finally, a handful of applications. And so we begin with the prohibition. Here's the commandment. We're on our 10th in the series of the Ten Commandments. We have two more sermons to go in this series. We looked at one and two, then three, four through six, seven, 
8 through 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and here in Exodus 20, 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In Deuteronomy 5.20, it says, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The same word is used in English translations, but they're two different Hebrew words. And I rarely show you Hebrew. Uh, one, because it looks funny. Two, because I don't want you to think uh, to, I'm presuming upon my knowledge, but I wanted to show you these two Hebrew words because they're different. Both under the umbrella of lying witness, but false in Exodus 20, 16 is, 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 is there, you see it, shakar. And then you see it in Deuteronomy uh, 5, 20. And what you see here is in 2016, it, it's overt, it's outright deception. In Deuteronomy 5, 20, it's a subtle insincerity. There are two sides of this. We use the term false, but there are two sides of that coin. There's outright deception, and then there's subtle insincerities, what we have come to call in our culture little white lies. Lies, nonetheless. And so the NIV gets at it when it says you shall not give false testimony. That's in Exodus 20, 16. That's what it means. You shouldn't be a line of witness against your neighbor. It's a very uh, legal term used in the courtroom. And what they're saying is do not go and bear witness about your neighbor with something that is not true about them. And the word itself bears testimony to this idea. In Genesis, you see it from the very beginning that Satan, who is the father of lies, lied. Did God really say you will surely die? You will not die. That is called a lie. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? When he said, I don't know, that was a lie. He knew exactly where he was. Genesis 12, 10 and following, and Genesis 26, 6 and following. Like father, like son, Abraham lied about Sarah, said he was her sister. And Isaac does the same thing. It is one of those things that is natural to humans to lie, but it is also learned. We learn, uh, learn about it in our families. In Exodus 23, 1, uh, it is calling us not to be actively involved in spreading malicious reports about other people. There's an active part to lie. Now watch this, Leviticus 5, 1. It says that we are not to be passively involved in lying. In Leviticus 5.1, it reads, I don't think it's up there, but I'll read it to you. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adoration to testify, though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. If you know the truth and you don't speak about the truth, the Bible considers it lying. If you know the truth and you don't speak the truth, silence can be considered lying. Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 20 talks about the idea of you need two or three witnesses. That's why this came about because you, do, you weren't going to have one person come and give a false report. You need two or three to affirm whether this is true or false. And in Proverbs 19, 5, you see that it talks about if you lie, you will not go unpunished. That lying brings punishment. In Proverbs 21, 28, it says we will perish. And so if you brought a false account on someone in the Old Testament and you were found to be lying, you were the one that bore their punishment. This is very serious. Why so serious? Because the truth matters. Here's the definition of the truth just out there on the Internet. Even the world recognizes this. 
The truth is the state of being true. Well, then what is true? True is being in accordance with reality. And what is reality? It is an account of things as they actually exist. It is a fact. And the fact is truth exists. People want to say that it doesn't exist. Kant trying to uh, pacify both the rationalist and the empiricist, tried to do a little magic there and say, yes, it exists, but it, it's only relative to the individual. That's just not true. That's a lie. And so we have to account for things as they actually exist. And everybody wants to go to the, the 45th level of the definition, the what-ifs, and honestly, when I'm doing apologetics these days, I'll say, let's deal with the world we actually live in. Let's deal with you and me. Sitting here today, let's not go off on tangents on the what ifs, because we're dealing with things in reality as they actually exist. What is truth? The truth is, and we'll see it, how things exist to reality, and we'll see biblically as they exist according to God and his principles. So why do people lie? Why do people lie? What is the motivation? If that's the prohibition, you shouldn't lie, why do people lie? Number one, people lie out of hatred. Satan is the father of lies. He hated God, and so he lied to Adam and Eve. He lied to Jesus. He tried to misuse Scripture. He tried to misuse Psalm 90 and said, doesn't it really say in the Scripture? And he gives a half piece of the Scripture and doesn't use the whole Scripture to try to trick Jesus. Jezebel lied when she wanted to get Naboth killed in 1 Kings 21. She sent two to three false witnesses so that they would witness against him, and then they stoned him. She did that because her husband was too afraid to man up, so she had to write a letter. It's just a crazy story. You can do your own homework in 1 Kings 21 if you want to. Herod, because he was mad and angry and troubled, says the Bible, he sent and lied and said, hey, go find out where this Jesus is because I want to worship him too. <laughs> And pride. Rachel and Laban. Rachel stole idols because she wanted to keep them because she thought she needed them. And she pridefully sat in Genesis 31 and said, Oh, I, you can't come here now. It's that time of the month. And so pride drives lying. And how about the biggest one? And I think it's the biggest one. It's the fear, fear of consequences. Peter knew that if he said he knew who Jesus was, he, his head would be on the chopping block. And so Peter's in his denying Jesus was afraid of revealing who he is. We lie when we aff we're afraid to offend others. If I tell them the truth, it might hurt them. I mean, surgeons have to do this all the time. You, say, you think they were sitting in there, man, Rumley's got a cancer, but if I tell him it's going to hurt, maybe I'll just lie to him. Maybe I won't tell him the whole truth. We, we're afraid of offending others. We're afraid of revealing ourselves. There's an embarrassment. This is why many people aren't honest. Honestly, you walk into to church and people put on a front and they're not honest. In church, in, 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 in the corporate world, in your neighborhoods, people aren't up front because if people really knew who I was, they're embarrassed. They would reject me. And we don't live in the realms of truth. Those are your motivations. The prohibition, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Why? Hatred, pride, and fear and how do we do it? How do we bear false witness? Ten reasons, top ten. Perjury, that's literally what the verse is talking about. 
you lie under oath. And some people have gone so far as to say, that is all that that means in Exodus 20:16. God's not talking about anything. So literally, you can tell little white lies just as long as it's not under the oath in the court of law. Oh my goodness. We've turned uh, one of God's commandments upside down. Now, another one is, is gossip. Gossip is saying something about someone behind their backs that you wouldn't say it to their face. Or flattery is saying something to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. The words of a whisper taste good, says Proverbs 18. How about rumors? Rumors are spreading rumors about someone on things you're not sure of. And then their slander is saying something to mar somebody's character. I mean, pick the right time to talk about that in this season, crazy as it is. You just watch just a snippet of the news and you're like, this is playground stuff taking shots at each other's character all over the team on the next slide we start to get into some more subtle ones these are the ones that are would come from deuteronomy 520 the deception and you may be thinking to yourself well i don't don't lie and bear false witness against people how about this do you do you deceive do you say less than the truth do, do you distort it? Do you, if somebody asks you about said incident or experience, you give them that much and you don't give them all of it? Starts in the heart, but that could be deceptive. Do you distort the truth? Do you mislead people? This is all over the business world. Your product is the best in the nation. Really? Maybe. And we, we distort the truth and we carve the facts. We, we say something to protect ourselves. We can be deceiving. We don't, what were you doing last night? And you just give a piece of it. You don't give the whole thing. We can be deceptive. Or exaggeration. Boy, I've got to watch out for this one. Saying more than the truth. You embellish it because especially when it comes to certain things of, of Christianity, you embellish, you can make it bigger because you want people to see it. And that happens in business too. We exaggerate. And then there's the carelessness that comes with own unexamined words, which Jesus said, you will be accountable for every un, uh, careless word, literally. Or here's one. Boy, when I was preparing for this, this hit me. We can't be a liar when it comes to convenience. Uh, just the phone rings. Tell them I'm not home. I read about one who, they to try to get around from lines, they would literally step into the shower, tell them I'm in the shower. That's deceptive. Is, is it true? See, that's what we do. Is we, well, it was true. I was, quote, in the shower. No, the, the idea is <laughs> you didn't want to talk and you were creating a scene as if you were unavailable to talk by being in the shower, and that is a lie. Or here's one. I've done this. I would say you've probably done this too. How are you doing? I'm fine. Okay. Really? Are you fine? There's nothing troubling you? Because you can normally tell in somebody's face. Here, here's the way I'd say that. If you're, if you're not having a good day or whatever, and somebody says, hey, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. You're doing better than you do. No matter what the circumstances are, you're doing better than you deserve. 
But we've created this, this um, world around us where we can't be open and honest with each other. And the sad shame is, is when that happens inside the church, this is the one place that you should be able to be yourself. This is the one place where if you're having a bad day, we should recognize that and surround you. As Romans 15 says, we, not 15, 12, 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. This should be the safe place that you can come and we can talk about what's going on. This should be the place where you should be able to say, I am a total X. And we should say, yeah, maybe you are, but God extends grace to you. But we don't. Out of convenience, we'd rather not trouble somebody with our own life. Or those benevolent ones filling out recommendations. Kind of, that would kind of, and you can see how some of these combine with exaggeration. You can embellish somebody's character. As one commentator says, there's no such thing as a benevolent lie. And so we all fall into these categories one way or the other. We may not lie under oath. We may do a good job of keeping back from gossip, but we may flatter. We may not spread rumors or slander, but we could be a little misleading. We may not be exaggeration or careless, but we may, for convenience, just tell a little white lie, a subtle insincerity every now and then. And there's this destruction that comes. Why, why is this important? Why don't we do this? Because God matters, number one, and people matter. God and his word rest on the fact that truth has been built into creation. It is a logic. It's like logic. It's inherent in creation. No truth, no order. No, your creation becomes chaos. And he was, God in the Old Testament in Exodus was training a nation to be separate from community. How were they to be separate? They were going to have no other gods. They were going to worship one God. They were, gonna, they were not going to make any idols. They were going to walk by faith. They were going to not take the name of the Lord in vain. They were going to speak realities of God. They were going to, when the world was busy and trying to get things done, they were going to take a specific day to rest and worship him. They were going to actually honor their father and mother for generations to come. They weren't going to kill anyone. They weren't going to destroy any marital relationships. They weren't going to take anything. And one of the biggest ones is they were going to tell the truth in a world full of lies. From the beginning, from Genesis 3 on, this is one of the biggest issues of our world is we're dishonest. And this is one of the things in the Rumley family. You lie and you do physical abuse, that was an automatic spanking. We don't lie because Satan lies. And we don't, we don't physically abuse our brother and sister. We protect them, lead, provide, and protect that was, that was it. The rest of the stuff, I'm willing to work with childishness, foolishness, but you don't lie. Not in my house. We don't lie. And people matter. The truth of God matters, and people matter. Because you can destroy somebody's individual reputation. You see it with Jacob and Esau. Jacob deceived Esau to get his birthright. Jacob deceived Isaac and Esau to get his blessing, and you saw. And if it wasn't for God's grace, those two went apart. And so interpersonal relationships are destroyed. Churches are destroyed. People groups are destroyed. I read a book by Andy Andrews 
called How Do You Kill 11 Million People and Create a Lie. And Hitler created a lie. This is what, this is these people, they are inferior, and he built the lie, and he spread the lie, and he overcommunicated the lie, and now you kill 11 million people. The book is called How to Kill 11 Million People, and it's a fascinating, very quick read. I read it on the plane a few weeks ago. God matters, the truth matters, the Bible matters, and people matter. And when we lie, we destroy the reputation of God and people. And so, if we were to examine the world we live in, um, we'd see that it's a messy world. Justice, if we're going to have, everybody wants justice. There's not one person in the world, if you say, hey, do you want justice? No, I don't want justice. I want chaos to rule. I want justice. Justice necessitates the truth, but we live in a world that wants justice and we can't even decide on the multiplication tables. I mean, two, is two plus two really four? If we divide something in half and keep dividing, it wouldn't go on until infinity. I got your theoretical mathematics. But the idea is we want one thing, but we don't want the other. And all of a sudden, lying has become okay. Child Magazine, April 1990, The Truth About Lying, The Old View. Lying, like all other issues of morality, was seen only in black and white. Children were taught that lying was bad, deserving of strict punishment, and frequently reminding that lying will make your nose grow as long as Pinocchio's, to which that is a lie, right? If your mother ever told you that, don't lie because your nose will grow like Pinocchio's. That's the old view. That's old school. The new view. Today, some lying is considered normal. In fact, a child's first few lies are seen as an important step in the development of self. Ouch. And here we are, 26 years later. So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. And my friends, we have raised a generation who thinks it's okay to lie. Just tell a lie. Get yourself in trouble, tell a lie. You can never go wrong. This is what we're teaching our kids. We were just reading about Jacob and Esau, and we were telling them, you can never go wrong in doing what is right. And it's always right to tell the truth, no matter what the cost. But you see up there, well, he's also got the messy Bible. Because I know what some of you are thinking. Because every time you start talking about lying, theologically, it's, we, get, we go to the two in the Bible that are kind of sticky. What about the Hebrew midwives, Exodus 2? And what about Rahab, Joshua 2? And you, you say, yeah, I hear what you're saying when you're go- where you're going there. But the question is, are you saying because they lied, is it okay for you to lie? And are you saying because Rahab lied to protect the spies, is it okay for you to lie? I, I've struggled with how to answer that until now. Praise the Lord. Thank you, J.I. Packer, my Anglican forefather from overseas. If I had a good British voice, I would read it that way, but I don't. So I'll read it in English. But when one sets out to be truthful, new problems appear. This is good. 
there are people to whom it is clearly not right to tell the whole truth. Invalids, not yet strong enough to take bad news. Enemies in wartime, to whom one should not give information, i.e. a spy, and from whom, like Rahab and Corey Ten Boom, one may have fugitives to hide and bad folk who would use what you tell, tell them to harm others. Nobody doubts that in these cases, responsible persons must dissemble. But does that square with the ninth commandment? I love what he says here. In principle, yes. Now watch how he's, you got to go with this, how he's defining this. What is forbidden is a false witness against your neighbor. That is, as we said, prideful lying designed to do him down and exalt you at his expense. The positive command implicit in this negative is that we should seek our neighbor's good and speak truth to him about, to, about him to this end. When, we, when love, which seeks to do good, prompts us to withhold truth, if spoken, would bring him harm, the spirit of the commandment is being observed. In such exceptional cases, ca- catch that, I wish if I were to go back, if I were to go back, I would highlight exceptional cases, not normal cases, exceptional cases. As we have mentioned, all courses of action have something evil in them, an outright lie like that of Rahab. And he says in Joshua 2, 4 and 5, note the commendation of her in James 2, 25, may actually be the best way, the least evil, and the truest expression of love to all the parties involved. But he doesn't stop there. Yet, a lie, even when prompted by love, loyalty, and escapable recognition that if telling it is bad, not telling it would be worse, remains an evil thing. I skip the parentheses. To bear false witness for one's neighbor is not so bad as bearing false witness against him, but the lie as such, however necessary it appears, is bad. So that's how I'm going to say it from now. It's bad. Not good, bad, bad, not good. (laughs) And the right-minded man knows this. Rightly, he will feel defiled. Rightly, he will seek fresh cleansing in the blood of Christ and settle for living the only way anyone can live with our holy God by the forgiveness of sins. Again, we say, Lord, have mercy and lead us not into this particular type of temptation where only a choice of sins seems open to us, but deliver us from evil. Because if we think about it, there are missionaries across the world who aren't showing the whole truth when they sneak in and do something. So we understand there are, love it, exceptional cases. Should it be a normal practice in your life? Absolutely not. Is it always wrong? Absolutely. And so you see there's a messy world, there's a messy Bible, and then there's the messy believer, you and I. We all fall woefully short on this. We all do. We've all built ourselves up when we didn't need to. We've all withheld the truth when we should have spoke all of it. And so our mouths can dishonor God and can ruin relationships. And so I have a couple poems to capture that. If you, your lips would keep from slips five things observe with care to whom you speak of whom you speak how when and where and there's another one left forever unsaid this is a convicting poem 
If all that we say in a single day with never a word left out were printed each night in clear black and white, twould prove strange reading, no doubt. And then just suppose, ere eyes, ere our eyes we could close, we must read the whole record through. Then wouldn't we sigh and wouldn't we try a great deal less talking to do? And the more than half think that many a kink would be smoother in life's tangled thread if half that we say in a single day were left forever unsaid. We find ourselves in a universal predicament. The world we live in is full of lies. The Bible doesn't promote it, though it shows record of it. That's the beauty of the Bible. It gets kind of messy, but it doesn't say this is a descriptive or a prescriptive thing in Exodus 2 and Joshua 2. It's descriptive of what happens. It shows Peter's denial, not because that's what we should do if we find ourselves in trouble, but it's what happened. And we all fall or find ourselves going, what then shall we do? What is truth? And we need redemption. And we're going to look at redemption now both philosophically and biblically. This is going to take a few minutes philosophically because I want you to understand this and this can help you in your presentation of the gospel to the world that would say, oh, the Bible isn't true. Philosophically, we deal with subjective truth truth claims and objective truth claims. Subjective truth are tastes, right? Bowling is the greatest sport ever. It's a taste that some of you may say, oh, to bowl is like to be in heaven. Maybe. Um, some of you may say, I don't like it when my pastor doesn't shave. That's a taste. Sorry. It's a taste. My wife said, I look good in facial hair. It's subjective. Is it true? Okay. They, these depend on personal, these depend on personal preferences. Objective truths, this is where the world wants to go. Objective truths deal with things as they actually exist. Penicillin is an antibiotic developed for, from bacteria that helps with syphilis. It's true. It's true. And it depends on um, who's, what's being spoken and cannot change. It is a true statement for me to say, Dr. Pepper may cause cavities. It may. It's a true statement. Uh, it is a taste statement to say, Heath used to like basketball, he thought it was the greatest sport, but then he experienced soccer, and now he longs for former days when he could wear shin guards. That may, that's probably not true. It's a taste. That's what I want to be true. But what happens is our world says, oh, we'll take the subjective, which is down here in the realm of taste, and we'll make it objective, and that is truth. That's not true. There are objective truths that have been throughout history from the beginning of time to today, and here are four categories we could put them in. Logic. This modus ponens here. If P, then Q, you have P, therefore Q. Logic is inherent in, in humanity as anything else. If it's logical, it is true. Mathematics, two plus two is four. I don't care about new math and how to get there. Two plus two will always be four. Science, good science, tested science. Two parts H and one part O gives you water. And history, not just tested history, but accurately recorded history. 
when more and more of one document say one thing and it was accurately recorded by good eyewitnesses according to the account, we can agree that George Washington was the first president of the United States. Those things there are true logistically, mathematically, scientifically, and historically. But here are some popular ideas on truth. Uh, there is no truth for that statement to be true. Um, would nullify that statement. <laughs> truth is unknowable. For me to understand that statement, that statement is wrong. Truth is relative. Truth is formed by society. Truth is personal to the individual. Thank you, Immanuel Kant, for opening that door. All of those can be summarized by relativism, but each one of those is self-refuting. For the, that first statement, to, for the truth to be relative, it had that statement, the third one down, has to be absolute. <laughs> that should make you should make you laugh. In fact, I have some more funny statements on the truth. Uh, I cannot write a word of English. You're supposed to laugh. No sentences are longer than six words. No sentences are longer than six words. <laughs> it's a lie. A bachelor loves as many wives. So now we're getting into the idea of definitions. You have to know what a bachelor is. My brother is an only child. I've had amnesia for as long as I can remember. Always go to other people's funerals or they will not go to yours. That place is so crowded, quote, nobody goes there. And that idea is you have to understand there's nuances to the word nobody or the slang use of the word nobody. That means no one of importance. None of the cool kids are going there. Those are funny statements, but none of them are true. But they're stated. There's a subject, there's a verb, there's an object. But here are some serious statements which are as wrong as they are popular. Uh, there is no truth. Uh, truth is unknowable. Truth is relative. There are no absolutes. You shouldn't tell people they are wrong. What just happened there? You shouldn't tell people they are wrong. The next time someone says that, you, you Christians, you, tell pe you shouldn't tell people they are wrong. What, what did you just do? You just told me I was wrong and what not to do by what you just said. And I don't believe anything unless it can be scientifically proven. You know what's funny about that statement? Is that statement doesn't take science to prove it. <laughs> it's a philosophical statement. Here's the point. Truth exists, and we can know it. Truth exists. It is out there. It is part of the world. As much as logic, as much as the air we breathe in, we can know it. A believing something that isn't true doesn't make it true. The USA is the best soccer team in the world. I can believe that all day long. They didn't win the World Cup. The Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl last couple years ago. They didn't. So I can believe it all I want, but it's not true. People cannot be both right and wrong about objective, verifiable facts. Uh, this Bible is a, it's Milano soft tone and some shade of gray. That it's either true or false. It's not red. It's not pink. You can't look at this and say, well, that's a pink Bible. It's not. It's not pink. We, can, we both cannot be right about that. And so we look to this idea of the correspondence theory of truth. Reality is where we live. Our descriptions of reality must match up. And the Bible and the gospel is, is true in history. Christianity 
is logically and historically reasonable. If we were to go through logic, I would give you the cosmological argument for God, that everything exists has a cause. And so we can look at the world around us and say that didn't come into being by itself. We could look at the teleological argument and say not only did it uh, have a cause, but there's purpose and design to it. We could look at the axiological argument and say not only does it have a cause and it has a purpose and design, there's morality to it. There's a judgment to it. And so to have a watch, you have to have a watchmaker. And the watchmaker wants to use the watch to tell time, and it is not okay to take somebody else's watch without first asking them. And so logically, you can come to a cumulative case of reasonable faith that God exists as the powerful creator, the intelligent designer, and the moral sustainer of the universe. And the Bible is either true or it's not true. This is either true or it's not true. Internally, it says it's true. Jesus says this is the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Oh, but there's so many, there's so many discrepancies. Let's just, when people say that, I'm like, I really would love another cup of coffee. Let's just open the Bible and you can show me where there's a discrepancy and we can walk through it. See, we must scrutinize all other authoritative literature, science textbooks, uh, philosophical works, with the scrutiny that we scrutinize this piece of literature. More than a, it's more than literature, but it is literature. And so the way people want to tear this apart, I say, let's go tear apart every biology book on the planet. Let's just tear it apart like you do this. We're... we're what blows me away from the liberals is they want to be so liberal and they want to offer a broad education. That's what it used to mean. But they're as conservative in their uh, intolerance as they are intolerant of my intolerant view of homosexuality, cre creation versus evolution. Here's what blows me away. If, if we're going to be that liberal society that really wants children to grow and be exposed to all things, then teach creation and evolution in school. Teach it and let, let, the, let it just ride and let the children make a decision for themselves because that's what they need. Let us do it. Or here, I just found this out yesterday. Um, we're going to now try to start teaching homosexuality as early as kindergarten in this state. We're, there are people working for that in this state then let us teach at the same time the idea of heterosexuality. Teach the same thing and let the children make their choice. It just blows me away that we want to rip apart the scriptures and all that it says, but we don't want to truly sit down and evaluate our own position. Atheism is the most illogical, irrational position ever to stand on. There is no God. Really? Wow. You have... You have combed the information from history past. You've looked all up and down the world, and you've come to the final conclusion there can't be a God. Wow. That's the most arrogant position on the earth. If you want to know about God, go to the Bible. It is coherent. It is logical. Sure, like we've looked, it can be messy, but you have to understand the principles of Scripture. And it points to the one person who is also historically reliable. Jesus, he lived in history. He either lived or he didn't live. And I can tell you, Philo, Josephus, Tertullian, these are all non-Christian, ancient historians, said he lived. 
and that he died. He actually died. There are approximately 40 ancient sources outside the scriptures. 28 relate specifically to the event, often with details, and 12 of those are non-Christian. Thank you, Gary Habermas, the historical Jesus. This is recorded in history. Jesus lived and Jesus died. And so we only have one more thing to answer. Jesus rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Some say, oh, he didn't really die. It was a swoon theory, but take you back to the 28 accounts that said he did die. Some say the body was stolen. Nobody's going to steal the body and create that lie for 2,000 years. If the body was still there, it would have been found and it would have been brought. That's why a couple years ago I was in seminary and they have this bone box and it said Yeshua on the side. And it's like, ah, give me my tuition back. They found Jesus' bones. And two weeks later it was, it was said it was false. It wasn't the Jesus of the scriptures. But everybody gets all freaked out because Time Magazine puts it front and center. Or Jesus really did rise from the grave. That Romans is really right, that he, he came the son of David in the flesh, but he was raised to life by the power of the Spirit. Because he was raised, God said, your death uh, covers the sins of those who are my people. You see, the world is built upon truth. Absolutes govern the universe. Ravi Zacharias was talking one time. He went to Ohio State University and this guy was just, just going on and on about these, uh, this postmodern building, to which Zachariah said, what is a postmodern building? He said, well, the architect said that he designed the building with no design in mind. That's ridiculous. When the architect asked why, he said, if life itself is capricious, why should our buildings have any design and meaning? So he has pillars with no purpose. He has stairways that go nowhere. He has a senseless building built and somebody has paid for it. To which Ravi Zacharias, so his argument was that if life had no purpose in design, why should a building have any design? He said, that is correct. Ravi Ravi Zacharias said, did he do the same with the foundation? See, we, we, we want to get all cute, but we have to have a foundation to build the building. That's, that's reality. And all of a sudden, Zacharias said there was science, silence. You see, you and I can fool the infrastructure as much as we would like, but we dare not fool with the foundation because it will call our bluff in a hurry. Which leads me to the Bible. It is our foundation. Number one, the Bible said that God is a God of truth. Isaiah 65, 5 and Titus 1, 2. God who cannot lie. The God we love and worship. Wherever you are in life today, my friends, he will never lie to you. This is absolutely true. And he loves you dearly. Uh, Jesus came full of grace and truth. John 1, 4. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way, I am the truth. He embodies truth. John 14, 6. 1 John 4, 16 says there is a spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth. And Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 15, there is a word of truth. On the next slide, you can see what he says there. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who not need be ashamed, rightly handling 
the word of truth. John MacArthur said, The truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, and glory and being of God. The truth is the self-expression of God. And that's why I think this and the next commandment are of utmost importance. And so if you're here today and you recognize, you know, I haven't really always told the truth. And even just last week, I'm in need of grace. You are. And Jesus Christ is making all things new. He's cleansing our hearts that we may feed others with the fruit of our lips. And so what should we do? What should you and I do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are constantly being cleansed? What should we do with the truth? Number one, you should know the truth, right? Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You want to live a free life? You want to live free? Everybody's talking about always, we've got to live free. If you want to live free, you live submitted to the truth. Did I just say that? Yeah, that's paradox. You want to live free, then you live enslaved to the truth. We're holding up the rules that set us free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know how FBI agents know the real dollar bill? They don't spend their time learning all the false dollar bills out there. That would be crazy. Do you know how they learn to to detect lies? They know the real dollar bill cold. So they can hold up a fake one, turn it a certain way, and they say, we can tell this is not real. Tim Challies heard that, that illustration from John MacArthur, so he went and called the Bank of Canada just to find out if that's what happens and leave it to the Bank of Canada to confirm MacArthur's illustration. <laughs> you got to know the truth. You and I should be well acquainted with our Bibles. You and I should be well acquainted with our Bibles. Not just to say we know our Bibles, but when you know your Bible, you know God. And not only should we know the truth, we should... Oh, well, I just want to show you one other thing. This hit me. Why do we want to know the truth? Because we have to be discerning because lies are out there. And sometimes they make their way into devotional calendars. Check this out. Inspirational Bible quote. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. That sounds, and I saw a guy's eyes just go, whoa. That sounds so fluffy. But it's from the Bible. Well, let's just go read. Who said, if thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. Huh. You go back up and it says, then the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said to you, I will give this all the authority and glory for it has been delivered to me. If thou will worship me, all will be yours. Let me just say, I could go anywhere right now, but I'm just going <laughs> to. Brothers and sisters, beloved, this is why we do not proof text. It sounded good. It made its way into a devotional calendar. Thursday, July 3rd. Oh, my. You got to be discerning. See, people can even use scriptures incorrectly. So not only do we know the truth, we preserve the truth. Galatians 2.5 says, We did not submit to them 
for one hour that we might preserve the truth. We will never speak the truth until we know the truth, discernment. We will never live the truth until we embrace the truth, commitment. Paul said this, we're not backing down with these false teachers. We're not going to back down when somebody says, this is what marriage is. No, it's not. Not according to the scriptures. We're not going to be back down. We're just going to preserve the truth. And we're going to speak the truth in love. I love that. Speak the truth in love. And I love the next one. Love in truth. Too many times we want to pit that, well, I'm just showing them love. Sometimes, no, yeah, all the time, that love better be accordance with the truth or you're not really loving them. You can look all these references up on your own. You walk in the truth. John said it in 3 John 4, and I believe it. It's the greatest joy. I've told you this before. He had no greater joy than to see people walking in the truth, and it's the same for me. Cowboys win the Super Bowl, that'd be great. But when somebody comes to me and they say, my life's been changed forever because I've been reading my Bible and, and coming to church and seeing what life is like and they're walking in the truth, greatest joy. Greatest joy ever. Outside of salvation, life, being married and having kids. and One of the greatest joys ever is probably a better way to say that. And worship in spirit and in truth. And so that's what we're called to do. All those verses contain the truth. The Bible is the truth. We shall always be those who tell the truth. Father, thank you for being a perfect father. Not only are you a good father, you're a perfect father, and you never lie. You're not like man. You never lie. And so we can read your word and learn about you. Help us, Lord, to be truth tellers in our own lives from the most subtle things that we say to the big, true things we defend. Apart from you, Lord, we would lie and fool ourselves. We would fool our family. We would fool our neighbors. Help us not to lie, even if we know we may get caught. I pray for tax season coming up for us just to present our taxes well and truthfully. I pray for conversations we have with our neighbors that we would tell the truth. And I pray for conversations we have with one another that we would be open and honest to show true love by being completely open. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. We pray that you would be honored. In Jesus' name, amen.